Today is March 17th, 2015, and this is episode 109 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry. Thanks for having me, as always. You're very welcome. I uh, I must admit, I am indeed fighting a bit of Ebola plague something or other, so con- con- my voice is a mess. Conbola, right? My throat's a mess. I'm coughing. So if anybody wonders why I sound like I'm sick, it's because I'm sick. And not in the usual way. Correct. In a in a more unique and varied way. Yes. Yes. However, all that being said, I wouldn't miss the show. And we, we appreciate your your sacrifice. Well, if I'm not here, geez, I remember what the first thirty episodes were like. Oh gotta go there. These opinions, as always, do not represent those of our employer, past, present, or future. Okay, so first up, besides Atlanta, was this past Saturday, and uh, uh, the talks were pretty good. Actually, one of them in particular was uh, was very good. Which one was that? Um, it had something to do with uh, dying on the internet. Oh, yeah, that was a very, that was a rough talk. Yeah. But uh, yes, I did give a talk uh, outlining a couple things. One, good buddy of the hacker community, good friend of mine, passed away back in December uh, through an uh, unexpected uh, car accident. Not that car accidents are ever expected, but this was a very sudden thing. Uh, he had a lot of IT gear up and running, all sorts of stuff, and I give a talk about how I've been helping his widow sort of figure out that stuff, pick up the pieces, shut down stuff that isn't necessary, figure out what he had running at the colo, all of his side businesses, trying to get into his laptops, trying to get into his time capsules, recover family photos, all that kind of jazz. Uh, And then I also went into recommendations of things people can do to make it easier for their loved ones uh, if if they have an extensive IT infrastructure and suddenly were to pass in, in this world of online stuff. And we talked a little bit about the various different policies and things you can do with the various online services out there as well when it comes to these sorts of issues. So um, I hope the talk was received well. It seemed like it was. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that the video of that will be posted in the next few weeks and what it is, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll, we'll post it on the website so, so uh, people can see it. it. It's definitely, I think, worth watching. It's something that I don't think most people really think about. And, um, uh, yeah, we, we probably should. So, uh, moving on, our next uh, next topic is a uh, security conference that I had not previously heard of, and I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. Uh, it is called the High Tech Crime Investigation Association, and it is a conference held in Orlando, Florida, from August thirtieth through September second, and um, the the organizers have actually offered to give listeners of our podcast a 15% discount off of the ticket price 
if you use the promo code defensive security without a space. Which nearly pays for the cost of the podcast itself to our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're almost making money. Almost. Except for the time invested. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the other uh, the other bit of news is uh, I believe we will have a ticket to raffle, and Mr. Khaled and I are conferring on how we are going to... Uh, we're going to work the logistics of that, and we will discuss that in an upcoming show. In the meantime, you can. Do we, do we know the average uh, ticket rate? Do we know what uh, what you know tickets go for at this thing? Yes, the ticket price is five hundred and ninety-five dollars. Wow, that's pretty healthy. So fifteen percent off of that is is you know also pretty healthy. That's ninety bucks. Yeah, that's right. So, not bad. Look what we do for our listeners. That's right. We're awesome. And uh, and and uh, also. Just so you know, uh, actually, I, 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 at least I, I don't know about you, but I'm intending to be down there, and I think we'll, we will very likely record an episode while we're there and maybe interview some people. So, so when, when is, we know it's in Orlando, but when is this conference? It is uh, August 30th through, through September 2nd okay. in Orlando, Florida. And then, uh, then the other big conference of the year for us, at least, is, of course, DerbyCon. That's right. And you're giving away like 18 free hotel rooms, I heard. Oh, my gosh. No? No. That's a lie. <laughs> the rumors of that are not true. So, uh, All right. I-, I heard you were giving away a free beer to the first listener that found us. I, I will do that. Or whatever drink you may want within reason. All right. So um, so that I think that concludes the... Uh, but we're going to DerbyCon, I think. Is but, oh, yeah, we are definitely going to DerbyCon. And yes. the t- I believe tickets go on sale in early May. I highly recommend that you buy them early. They're not, it's not like ShmooCon. It doesn't go, they don't go out of style that fast. Um, but I do recommend you buy them soon. And also, if you want to stay uh, at the hotel, I would I would highly recommend you book, uh, book the, the room early. They, those do go pretty fast. Now, the only caveat there, Jerry stayed at the Con Hotel last year. I did not. During the parties, you said you could, even though you're across the hotel, you could still hear <clears throat> music. I was across the hotel. I was up, I don't know, 12 floors, and I had earplugs in, and I could still hear the music. So if you are a picky sleeper like me, and you're lame like me, and you don't stay at the party all night like me, this may not be the best plan. Well, that's true. Plan accordingly. But it is nice to not, you know, not have to stumble off to some other hotel. So um, anyway, so uh, getting into our stories. Our first story tonight is uh, is something that is very similar to what we talked about. I believe it was last week or the week before. The, the uh, story comes to us from the website firstcoastnews.com. And the story is about the city of Orange Park, Florida, apparently almost lost half a million bucks. Oh, my. The, the story goes that a city employee's email account was compromised uh, by an attacker, and then the attacker subsequently used the email account to distribute uh, malware. I, I presume some sort of rat or uh, banking trojan, not really clear what they what they distributed, 
And, you know, in grand fashion, apparently, uh, I think they actually said, uh, uh, a lot of our employees, and this is a quote, a lot of our employees opened it and they shouldn't have. So, uh, you know, th- this, there's really two things. One is I did a little bit of homework and found that the city, the city actually uses outlook.com. All right. So, you know, it's, this is not a situation where their email is behind a, a VPN on a isolate, you know, on a protected network. So it's entirely possible that this was some kind of a credential reuse type of attack. The other issue I see is that, you know, we, we, we do a good job, I think often do a good job of trying to educate people about you know, looking for quote suspicious attachments and not opening attachments from unknown people. But if you get an email with an attachment, particularly if it looks somewhat reasonable, from one of your coworkers, you know, are, are you are you really? And by all appearances, it's actually an email from your coworker. What 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 do we do in terms of training our employees? to, uh, you know, to, to resist that, that's a very difficult problem. And yeah, it is one of the reasons I, I, I like to say education is not a technical control. No. And I was, I was thinking that I was also thinking about the outlook.com side of this. So that's obviously Microsoft's hosted email in the cloud and likely they were single factor authentication, static passwords. Right. So, Apparently, whatever malware they distributed, Outlook.com is clearly not running any sort of anti-malware that would pick it up. Well, you know, it's easy it's easy to say that, right? Well, it, it's 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 obvious. It must be the case. Well, no, I I mean I I agree with you, but I don't think we can be surprised by that. No, but the point I'm making is that this is an interesting downside to going to a cloud email provider, is that the opportunity to use something like a FireEye or one of the other many sandboxing email scrubbing solutions uh, is point. lost uh, when you go to an outsourced provider. So when you go to a more advanced um, malware detection system, you don't have that option in this case. Right. No, no anti-malware in the cloud for you. Right. Um, I, I'd be very curious in a certain situation like this, to do a bake-off to see how well Google, Google Apps, would have picked this up versus Outlook.com. I wonder if there's a difference. I have the sense, though it is completely unscientific, that Google does a better job picking this stuff up with their cloud app, Google Apps for business, than Outlook.com does. Yeah, I I still think that's a crapshoot. I mean... Certainly. These... It's so well, easy. I mean, it's so easy to obscure malware these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, we go back to we go back to having to harden the endpoint because the endpoint is always under attack. Right. So, what could we've done at the endpoint to stop this malware? Don't know. Don't know much about the malware. Yeah, that, obviously that that's that's the disadvantage. We we really don't know exactly what it was. Um, I, I again, I assume it was a given the context of the story. I'm assuming that it was a you know a dire type banking malware, banking trojan, and just just based on the context, it doesn't sound like a rat or anything like that. But you know we really don't know. 
So um, it, it's difficult to say if you know removing admin rights or whitelisting or what would have what would would have really worked. But you know, I'm I'm going to guess that the city probably didn't have a you know a, a high level of sophistication. But I don't know that to be to be true. There's really no context at all about what they did or did not have in place or what the malware was and was not. So I just thought the story was really interesting. Um, you know, fortunately for them, they didn't actually lose the money. The, uh, their bank was able to, uh, to reverse the transaction before, uh, before it, it got away. But, you know, we, we've seen too many times where that doesn't happen. And I, I think that this kind of attack is becoming extremely common or at least a lot more common because it works and it's very profitable. Uh, moving on to our next story, which comes from McAfee. And uh, this is a, this is kind of a story we don't often talk about. The title is targeted attack campaign against Indian organizations continue with more exploits focused on national events. What I thought particularly interesting about this one is i guess we often talk about u.s centric stories and this is an interesting one that was focused on uh, on indian government and uh, indian entities and by indian you mean the subcontinent of correct not not the native american misbranded version correct yes just to be clear good good catch right i mean this could be you know going after Gambling mecca. I don't know. Yeah. So, so the the unique thing here is that this was a, apparently a campaign, a, a fairly sophisticated campaign, and thank goodness there's no attempt at attribution. Right? They do point out where some of the command and control infrastructure is, but they don't make any any assert, assertions on who did it. Uh, but apparently, it was going on since 2010, and I think at least up through the end of 2014. Um, what was interesting to me is the approach they took, uh, which was using documents, Word documents, that contained exploit code. And the documents were actually, as far as I can tell, actually contained you know, real information, and they were kind of timely and aimed at a particular happening, right? So some type of a current event, you know, so one of the, a couple of the file names they have are Indian Diplomacy at Work, UNSC Reforms.doc. And this attack apparently leveraged um, those kinds of current events to con people into opening them. And further, what I thought our listeners might really like is is taking a look at what this infrastructure kind of gave the attackers the ability to do. And I would say this, from my perspective, what I've seen, this malware doesn't seem particularly sophisticated. What it what it basically did was drop onto the system. uh, It it send off a some telemetry about the system that was infected. And in particular, it gave an inventory of documents on the system and uploaded that. So apparently, you know, presumably, whoever was running the infrastructure could then go through and kind of let go into the supermarket 
pick which documents they wanted to uh, to go after. And then it also gave them the ability to download or upload, depending on how you look at it, uh, additional malware for uh, for other purposes. But um, you know, this to me again, I think this is an interesting perspective that we don't often see. You know that when someone opens a document, like in the story we just talked about, you know, here's kind of what can happen, right? Yeah, it's, you know, we've been having word embedded problems for a long, long time. And, you know, the other comment that I wanted to make was that you mentioned it wasn't very sophisticated, but once again, we're we're being shown malware only has to be as sophisticated as it needs to be to work. There's no need to over-engineer this stuff, uh, depending on on the complexity of the target you're going after. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's the point. That's the point. I mean, this is a this is a, a, a we don't really know exactly how effective it was, but you know, it 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 works. Right. So, um, and it doesn't. I guess the other point that I wanted to make is this is not the kind of thing that requires huge amounts of sophistication to pull off. No, you know, especially when, you know, probably the most, I wouldn't say difficult thing or, or whatnot, but the timeliness of just making sure that it is referencing some sort of political event or event of interest right. that's going on at the time. Absolutely. You know, we, we see this all the time with, uh, you know, phishing attempts and spam, you know, related to some news event going on. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a little more, focused and targeted, but uh, certainly I think that this is the way that social engineering is going. Uh, you know, people can quickly target certain folks with certain types of documents that sound like something that is relevant to their interests and have a higher click-through rate, I imagine. Right. Right. The other thing, of course, uh, being a McAfee blog, we are assured that McAfee does block all of the exploits that they talk about in this particular posting. At- as of the time of the writing, which, which by the way, which by the way drives me, drives me crazy about these security vendors is they will, you know, they're more than happy to write this, but I, I gotta wonder, you know, it, back in 2011, 2012, 2013, was that actually the case? Well, you know, and this is the other thing that they mentioned that they, uh, during late 2014 and 20, early 2015, attackers modified the shell code and dropped the malware family continuously changing their tools and techniques. Right. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical that, uh, just, just based on what we know of, of antivirus that they always detected it. And I'm sure they detect it in its current incarnation, but. Right. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, uh, I a hundred percent agree with you that, uh, relying on only an AV, uh, no matter how great their blog posting is, is probably not going to help you. Which which kind of goes to the next question of well, what do you do? And you know, this is a this is a difficult question because macro, you know, the the macro style viruses. And by the way, it's not it's not entirely clear to me if this is a macro virus or if this was using an exploit in uh, in Office. But uh, regardless, coming up with ways to defend against those actually are a little bit different because on, in the exploit case, something like EMET may help you. 
in, in the macro case, EMAP probably will not help you. That's true. Uh, whitelisting would help in certain circumstances. Not sure how well a whitelisting app like a Bit9 or similar would deal with uh, you know macro level word attack. We also don't know if these were patched vulnerabilities that were left unpatched or if these are zero days. Right. Right. So my gut when it's a word vulnerability is keep word patched, but I don't I don't know at least I haven't heard of a lot of existing O days running around against word right now, uh, but. You know, there's no guarantee that I would know about those, but it's not something we often hear like we do about Java or Flash. Right. Great. I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking more that it's it's probably uh, it's probably more of a macro virus, but we don't we again we don't know. Which is interesting because again, if you get something in email, if you're in any sort of modern version of Word, it will disable macros on that particular uh, document until you click enable macros. Right. So there's a lot we don't know, but makes it tough to, to give advice on how to fix it. But, yeah, that's what yeah, we're talking there, about. There was, there's, there was a, uh, I don't remember who wrote it, but I read, a, I read an article recently about some of the social engineering tricks that the malware authors will, will use to trick you to turn on or to enable a macros. And basically one of the, one of the tricks is they'll... Um, you know, either they'll claim that it's a secure, you know, they'll, they'll have uh, some kind of a security looking banner, um, you know, that basically tells you that in order for you to view the document securely, you have to enable macros because it's, you know, and, and, you know, I hate to say it, right, but we've often shot ourselves on the foot by, by some of these things, right? So. Indeed. Anyway, um, don't have a great, don't have a, a great overall, you know, all around solution uh, for that. But, you know, I guess if, if uh, you know, if somebody has some recommendations for defending against macroviruses, you know, send them in info at defensivesecurity.org. Our next story comes from esecurityplanet.com. Boy, that just sounds like such a .com name. Um Anyway, the title is PCI Compliance Still a Challenge. Uh, this is uh, referencing a Verizon report. Which I will just say up front, go read the whole Verizon report. It's good. Oh, it is. It is good. Uh, but, eh, oh boy. So, it's long. I'll warn you. It's like 87 pages long. <laughs> yes, but it's worth it. But there's good stuff in there. Right. Uh, the, the the summary, I mean, if, if, even if you only read the summary uh, article here it's there's some interesting points uh, among them the oft cited no entity has ever been breached that was in full compliance with PCI which drives me insane I, you know it's and, and they go on to say oh go ahead when you say insane do you mean like insane in the membrane yes insane in the brain insane in the brain okay carry on uh, so they also uh, they also make the point that in their in their report they find that nearly seventy percent just quoting here as the study has discovered nearly seventy percent of organizations surveyed that had achieved PCI DSS compliance fell out of compliance the following year and when you when you pair that up with the, the comment that there has never been an entity in full compliance with PCI breached. Um, 
I, I, I'm really skeptical that any entity is ever actually in full compliance. Well, and, and they, they talk to this. They, they say, look, they're in compliance at the moment that the auditor is doing the audit. And then they start, for lack of a better term, getting lazy about it and fall back out of compliance for various reasons. And they actually talk about, they break down the 12 different criteria uh, in, the, in the full report, the 12 different PCI criteria, what is most likely for them to fall out of compliance on. And it's the things you would expect that are most difficult to do day over day over day over day. Well, I guess I guess I'm I'm a little more cynical in that I I just don't know that it's practical in a in a PCI audit to to have you know full awareness of the entire environment and the state of everything. Well, so, keep in mind when 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 we're doing a PCI audit, we're actually taking samples. No, I get it. I get it. Right. So, but if you could, have a very large environment, right? Yeah. You know, and and when you look so, at how things have failed, it's segmentation and isolation, right? So, are you saying that PCI is unobtainable for a sufficiently complex environment? I think I think we're I think we're deluding ourselves to think that it is. Yes. Okay. Um, so the the thing that struck me, and I know I I take hell every time I say this, right? The report goes in, they don't talk about it much in this article, right? But the report actually goes into some suggestions about, you know, how do you, how can you simplify or should we simplify the process of PCI compliance and and on and on and on. And honestly, I think that might be the wrong question to, to, to ask. I kind of like the way the banking sector does it. Right, and the way the banking sector does it is, you know, it's not, it's not a. I mean, obviously, if you're a bank, they, you know, they'll come out and and do some PCI-like uh, testing and auditing, right? But one of the key things they want to see is that you have a management system in place that understands what the risks are. You stay on top of it, and you are you 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 have. You know, management that's, that just gives a damn, right? And they're, they're, that's what they're really out, out there to test. And it seems like that's an opportunity, I think, for PCI or, or, anyway, I, I, that just seems intuitive to me, uh, to help with some of the, the, the failings that they're pointing out in this report. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I'd also say in talking with some of my friends as well who are working on PCI, you know, one thing I see a lot is, um, Scope reduction is an incredibly important thing to do by properly segmenting your environments that are that are PCI in scope. And I think where some organizations shoot themselves in the foot is they don't architect with PCI scope in mind, and, and then every not everything or too much is in scope, and it, it just causes even more and more challenges. So, and the problem is once you're built and up and running, and you know you're doing stuff that is ultimately cardholder data. Revo- you know, related, it's a lot more difficult to re-architect and change than it is to build it that way. So hopefully going forward, uh, if, we, you know, people do net new build-outs of data center environments and whatnot, they'll keep PCI scope in mind to try to completely isolate their PCI environments. Yeah, and to be honest, I think that is one of the one of the areas, looking backwards where we see have seen a lot of failures and i think that's also one of the things that pci3 is intending to solve is the issue of 
of isolation because it is very common for organizations to try to you know to to isolate or focus uh, the PCI assessment on the CDE, and you know by demonstrating that they have this this segmentation. Unfortunately, as we've seen in Target and other cases, the segmentation doesn't really exist much beyond the network map. Yeah, yeah, you really, you really got to know it and test it. Exactly. To understand it, you know, and that takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of knowledge, uh, and it also takes really good change control. Right. Which, again, uh, some would see as slowing the business down. Right. Right. So. Anyhow, I uh, recommend if, if uh, PCI is something you care about, it's a good report to read. All right, moving on to our next story, which comes from ZDNet, and the title is Feds Hot on the Trail of J.P. Morgan Hackers. This is a follow-up story to one that we covered late last year. And at the time, just for the, for the sake of those who may have forgotten, at the time, J.P. Morgan had been breached, uh, and it was apparently through a web server. Uh, they lost somewhere around 80 million records of, um, of homeowner data here in the U.S., and they found, allegedly, found this uh, uh, intrusion as a result of one of their, um, I think they called it the corporate challenge site, if memory serves, uh, had been breached, and in the incident response, they were they decided to go look for indicators of compromise, and they found something on their on their their main website. And sure enough, bing, bang, boom, uh, they found this. So, at the time, again, I want to focus the point that it was believed, it was reported, in fact, that the breach happened through an external website. And this report says that. Uh, let's see. The I'm quoting here. The cyber attackers were able to access JB, JP Morgan's networks through a compromised employee computer, which was infected with malware. The malicious code then established a VPN tunnel into the corporate systems, granting the hackers access to the database where sensitive information was stored. So, that's a quite a different story. Yeah. Something has changed. <laughs> um, and and kind of goes back to, you know, yet another probably phishing email. We don't, we don't know. There's no... There's no um, well, I think we can state definitively that phishing and email-borne initiations of attacks are the most popular vector that we see being used in these big public attacks. So by God, show up your email defenses. <laughs> Yes. You want to spend some worthwhile money? Go look at some more advanced email defense. That's right. And I'm not saying just add an antivirus gateway at your email. Go right. look at something that actually vets the, the links like a proof point or, or runs the attachments in a sandbox like a FireEye or, you know, gets a lot more sophisticated with the inbound email. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So uh, the rest of the story is... You know, it's kind of interesting. They quote a New York Times report who I think in turn uh, quotes some unnamed federal officials who are involved in the investigation who believe that they are very near 
uh, issuing charges against some uh, some people who are responsible for the quote cyber attack. And those people actually reside in countries where they believe they can be extradited from. So, so question. Interesting. If you're going to say that, they're likely to see this, and wouldn't that spook them, and then they could perhaps run to a country that doesn't have extradition? Isn't this kind of a bad tip of the hand? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm often very cynical in how I view this and wonder quite often if there are not ulterior motives for releasing such things. Yes, I would concur. I.e., if you if you want to confirm your suspicions about someone, maybe you do this and watch their reaction. You know, I don't know. Then then you you mug them when they're on vacation and I know I just I think you're right. I think these are very coordinated, thought out statements made for purposes beyond just to inform the public. That's right. That's right. So uh, the last story we have is from. PNJ.com. Hard-hitting news from PNJ.com. Which is the Pensacola News Journal. So uh, the title is Sacred Heart Health Systems Billing Information Hacked. There were two interesting things about this article. Number one is a brain-splitting quote. Yeah, this one hurts. Prepare yourselves. So. Good luck. Yep. I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs verbatim. The billing information of 14,000 Sacred Heart Health Systems patients was compromised recently when an employee email account of the healthcare provider's third-party billing vendor was hacked. No medical records were breached, but hackers gained access to patient names, dates of service, dates of birth, diagnoses and procedures, total charges, and physician names. The social security numbers of 40 patients were also exposed. I, yeah, go ahead. Um, so if I've got diagnoses and procedures and charges, how is that different than a medical record? <laughs> so I, I actually asked, um, I asked my good buddy Martin Fisher that yesterday and, uh, he, he didn't have a great answer, although he said that clearly what they lost was EPHI. Uh, but they apparently are playing some games with the definition of medical records. So uh, I don't know that either. All I can assume is that they consider medical records to be probably the printed paper things that are in the files. I I, I don't know. I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, but so. So so you know the charts they walk around with and flip them on doctor shows. Exactly. I I'm assuming that is, you know, that they were unable to make photocopies of those papers, and therefore the medical records were not. So the hackers stolen. have to run in, grab a handful, and run out to breach the medical records. I assume. I well, you know, I assume they may actually find a way to, you know, not call that a medical record too. I don't know. I don't know what a medical record is if not that, uh, but. You know, again, this is uh, you know, this is another case where a you know your supply chain is a problem, right? Um, th- this this was not an attack on 
the uh, the hospital or the health system itself. It was a third party. They outsourced their billing to a third party. The, the third party billing company is the one who was breached yet again by phishing. Oh, <laughs> the sound effect for that. Yes. Yes. Because it seems to come up over and over and over. Yes. Uh, so that, you know, that is, uh, that is something I think to really pay attention to, you know, what, what kind of data do your third parties have access to of yours? What kind of access into your environment, your networks, your applications and whatnot do your vendors have? And what kind of controls do they have? And, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I really think at some point we're going to have to advance off of the stupid, you know, kabuki dance spreadsheet game we play with vendors. You know, do you have antivirus? Yes. And and when I say yes, I mean that periodically we run Malwarebytes free version. You know, like Fazio. <laughs> It's top end stuff, man. Leading edge. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, you know, that's, I, I suspect that, you know, 2015 is probably going to be, uh, from a, from a defensive standpoint, the kind of the year of the, the vendor or the, the supply chain. So anyhow, that is the, that's our last story for the evening. Anything else you wanted to, uh, Cover or mention? Uh, just circling back around to B-Sides. Uh, some of the other talks were pretty interesting. Um, John Foster did a talk on the economics uh, from... Sorry. The economics from a stock price standpoint of breached companies and how a breach does not necessarily kill the stock. And it is somewhat counterintuitive to uh, what you would think. And it's worth looking up uh, once that gets published as well. And uh, and I had some fun at Lockfit Village, learning to pick some more locks. That was a good event. I really appreciate those guys setting up and the sponsors who pay for it. And uh, we also met some listeners, had some great talks. Um, a lot of folks came up and said hello, which was great, and we really appreciated that. One, just as I had spilled my iced coffee, which was a little bit um, <laughs> a little bit awkward and embarrassing. Uh, Bad time to be an E-list celebrity when a fan comes up, but I appreciate everybody saying hello. And uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was really it was really very cool to see how many people at at uh, besides Atlanta were were listeners. I mean, I I think there were you know at least ten or so. And as usual, they flocked around Jerry, and Jerry just made me hold his coffee. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's fine. I'll just. <laughs> even I'll though even here. though you were the star of the entire show it's not my fault your talk got rejected uh, you know yeah my my talk made people cry well, that's on twitter <laughs> that's true nice job <laughs> nice job one thing one thing i learned though one thing i learned is when you've got your audience and they're with you and and you're all in a dark place together and you're going through a dark topic, and they're engaged. The dumbest joke you can think of will make them laugh because they want a release. So my jokes go over really well when I'm when I'm in the middle of a really dark talk. That's one thing I learned out of that. 
that presentation. It's pretty much the only time they go over well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, my talk has gotten some interest. I'm, I'm uh, a reporter reached out to me. I'm not sure why, but uh, we're going to talk tomorrow. That's great. Yeah, that's the first time that's ever happened. That's awesome. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see what comes of that. But otherwise, no, just uh, just a big shout out to the organizers, volunteers, and sponsors of B-Sides Atlanta. Uh, it was a good event. Glad they did it. Good space. I enjoyed it. Good deal. Would buy again. I had fun. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I wish I wasn't so sick for it, but... Um, yeah, you know. Anyhow... Uh, as as uh, usual, we appreciate you listening to the show. If you uh, if you like the show, you know, go on iTunes and give us some five star love. We we do enjoy that. Uh, and you can find the show notes, uh, which are uh, links with our links to the stories we talk about, at our website www.defensivesecurity.org. You can uh, find the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can find Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg. That's L-E-R-G. And me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And uh, with that, I think we will call it a week and talk to you again next time. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Appreciate you. Take care. Weird. Maybe your mom doesn't have the code for it. Yep. There it is. I mean, you are from Downriver. Oh, you're not going to pull that shit out. I think <clears throat> I think we should all just move to Snapchat. I think we should just all be on Chat Roulette. The whole podcasting without pants thing is close to a whole new level. And you are on mute. God fucking damn it. And I say within reason because I know that Link State will come up with some really crazy ass. My God, no, you Scotch! Know, now that he's heard his name on the show again, he's just gonna. Oh. I know, I know. Maybe I'll beep it out, <laughs> and then the listener will never know who it was. That's true. It'll drive him crazy. We mentioned one of you. <laughs> That's true. And the attacker. Hang on. Hanging. That goddamn phone rings like once a month. And and that was the time. And that was the time. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. 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 Bye bye.